bad luck. You're stuck with me now. Um, so if I haven't met you, my name's Tim. I'm the youth worker here at Forest Town Church, uh, St. Albans. I'm married to the wonderful Becky, and we have one little shepherd, uh, Nathan, uh, who appeared and then ran off. Um, so it's actually felt like nearly Christmas in the Sanford household for quite a long time now, um, because uh, we've been endlessly watching The Snowman. I don't know if you know it. The, it's a little sort of 25-minute cartoon um, with, about a snowman that comes to life. And it's just about the right length, because Nathan can't quite do whole movies yet. Um, and he absolutely loves uh, the kind of whole picture of the flying snowman. Um, but I'm a little bit worried that when it snowed and we, we built a snowman outside our house, poor Nathan was very disappointed because it didn't spring to life and fly him off to see Santa. Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a letdown. And I kind of think that sort of sometimes uh, summarizes a lot of uh, our experience of Christmas. This is a long build-up. Um, and then sometimes it doesn't always live up to all of the hype. I mean, I think pretty much as soon as uh, supermarkets, as soon as it goes past Halloween, they switch into Christmas mode. And there's this long build-up with twiglets at the end of every aisle and advent calendars and all this pressure um, on us to have a perfect Christmas with the perfect friends and the perfect meal. And somehow it doesn't quite always live up like that. Um, I know that, uh, or I read that um, John Lewis spent £7 million this year advertising uh, um, for Moz the Monster, that, that, that little clip cost them seven million pounds, and we're not even sure if we really like it or not. <laughs> um, we spent a lot of money on it. Uh, and the advertising budget across all of the different advertising companies was six billion pounds um, spent over Christmas. Six billion pounds spent on trying to get us to buy more things across all the advertising. Isn't that incredible? And so that kind of gets you thinking, is this really what Christmas is about? Spending money buying more stuff for people that perhaps they don't really need. As Bart Simpson says, aren't we forgetting the real meaning of Christmas? You know, the birth of Santa. <laughs> you see, if you take Christ out of Christmas, you're left with M&S. Now, I do like M&S. I really like the meal deals particularly, but there's got to be more to Christmas than just buying things. So if we want to find out what Christmas is really about, we need to go back to the original script. See, the Bible, the original script, tells the story of Jesus Christ. And um, we're just going to look at a short section tonight uh, from Luke chapter 2. So there's a little bit coming from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. There were shepherds camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly God's angels stood among them and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A savior has just been born in David's town, a savior who is Messiah and master. This is what you're to look for. A baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the the shepherds talked it over. Let's get over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child, and all who heard the shepherds were impressed. So tonight, I just want to share with you three quick things which I think Luke wants to tell us. 
three things that the original script says that I think Christmas is really about. And then we'll have a chance to sing another carol together. Is that all right? Great. So a long, long time ago, um, I graduated from Loughborough University. And at my graduation was my mum and my nan. Now, my mum being my mum, she was, thanks for that, Andrew, that was personally picked by him. Um, my mum being my mum was, of course, a little bit late. Um, you, can, you can set your watch by my mum. She's just always half an hour after whatever time she's meant to be there. Um, and so the graduation, everyone's kind of sat down. And then my mum and Nam, they come in late. But fortunately, my friend John was there. Now, my friend John worked for the university. And he quickly showed them a couple of seats. They sat down and on we went with the graduation. And most people get it right, you know, you kind of walk on and you shake your hand and shake the, the, the hand of the chancellor and they, then you collect your degree and walk off. And, but it's something, it's a very nerve-wracking moment and you're sort of rehearsing it in your brain in case somehow you've forgotten how to walk or shake a hand in the last bit. So you're, you're very nervous. And then there's the awkward moment where somebody leant in for a kiss and it was like, whoa, no one expected that. The chancellor didn't expect that. And it was kind of a really awkward moment. But mine one was fine. My, I, shook the hand, that all went fine. But my embarrassing moment came at the end of my graduation. And from who else? My mum. So, uh, of course, at the end of the graduation, what, what we didn't realise until this point is that my friend John, who worked at the university, had sat my mum and my nan in the VIP section. See, so there's, there's a kind of a section with all the dignitaries and, and the mayor and all these people are there. And so he sat them in, but they stood up to leave before all of the students. It was kind of a thing where they, they were the special VIP guests, so they stand up to leave. And of course, my mum sat there resolutely. She was going nowhere, and she was appalled that anybody would stand during her son's graduation. So we have the mayor and everyone scrambling over this 50-something-year-old woman trying to get out, out, out of their, their seats to go. And she gave them the stare for daring to go at their son's graduation. And so it's my friend John sat them in the wrong section. And in, in, this original, in the original story, don't we see, it's like the shepherds have been sat in the wrong section. It's like they had cradle-side seats. They had the very best seats in town. The shepherds were the witnesses to the birth of the king. I mean, you can imagine the angels receiving that guest list, and they go down and it goes, okay, shepherds on a hillside... Oh, um, there's some kings. They come later, but they're going to follow a star. I mean, the, the, it would have come, they'd been, well, surely, where are, the, where are they? Where's the, the, you know, the, where's Herod? Where's the, the important people? But no, some shepherds. And I think there's a point to this, and I don't want us to miss it. Like the shepherds, you're invited. We're all invited to this. I think the very reason that a legion of angels go out of their way to meet some shepherds on a hillside to invite them into this is to say that God is inviting everyone. It, no one is going to be left out. No one is too poor. No one is too broken. In the case of the shepherds, no one is too smelly to, be, to miss out on this event. It's for everyone. So I want to tell you that you are invited. You're invited to this. God's got you on the guest list. He's given you an invitation. And I think he wants to give you a gift. But we all know there's different types of gifts. There's good gifts, and then there's you know, the other gifts. You know, the kind of, there's the, the, the ones that have the Apple logo on them that you really, really need. And then the other kind of gifts. You know, and I'm not talking about socks here, because we can always do with more socks. Now, I'm talking about Star Trek alarm clocks. That's what I'm talking about. 
Now, if there are any trekkers here, I'm sorry. I, I, there's nothing against trekkers, but this is just uh, my experience as a young eight or nine-year-old. And you're, you're looking for the, forward to the, the present from the parents, yeah? That's the big one. That's the one you're like, you know, this is, you know, it could be anything. And you've been subtly dropping hints as, as things have been going on that, oh, most of your friends have this wonderful thing called a Sega Master System. And uh, compared, you know, compared to the cost of raising a kitten over its entire lifetime, which your sister got last year, a Sega Master System really does not cost a lot of money. Um, and so on and so on. But then you're looking at the package and you're thinking, this probably isn't, big enough to be a Sega Master System. Maybe it's the game cartridges. Maybe the Sega Master System is, in fact, located elsewhere. And you open it, and instead you find a Star Trek alarm clock. Now, a Star Trek alarm clock had two modes, English and Klingon. And in English, it would wake you up in the morning with the words, get up, get up, the Enterprise is under attack. In Klingon, it would also do the same, uh, which I'll give you my best impression of. And that, that was the noise that woke me up to go to school for more in, the, uh, in the morning for a good part of my growing up. And then my mum utters those brilliant words where she goes, it is Star Trek you like, isn't it, dear? No, mum, Star Wars. But thank you. But Jesus, Jesus is not like a Star Trek alarm clock. You'll be surprised to know. Jesus is the gift we really need. He's the gift we really need. You might say, well, why? The original script says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. But why? Why would we need Jesus? Well, to understand that, I think we need to understand a little bit about what is wrong with the world. Now, the world is a beautiful place. I think most people would agree. But I think most people would also agree that it also has a lot of problems. You know, there's, there's wars and terrorism and cyberbullying and addictions and mental health issues and loneliness. You know, the very reason we can have a 24-hour news uh, channel is because there's always somewhere something is happening in the world. And it would be wonderful if you just turned into BBC News 24 and it said... Everything is great today. Have a fine day. It would be lovely, but actually, there's always something going on. Um, and I think that's because the world is a broken place. And a lot of people are trying to, to, to fix the problem. So there's a lot of great work, um, for example, in the areas of deprivation. You know, maybe the problem is that there's not enough food or, uh, or water or money to go around. And so many charities are working at that and saying, well, what if we, if we shared things equally, wouldn't things be better? And then there's also the problems of education. Maybe if we educated people better, then they would know how to fix the problems they're facing themselves better. And again, great work is being done in that area. Or maybe it's the justice system. If we uh, just had good deterrence and we punished criminals fairly, but then reintegrated them into society well, maybe that would fix the problems. And I, I don't want to knock any of those things, but I think we're never really getting to the root cause. Because the root cause is not actually any of those things. It's inside us. The Bible puts it this way. I don't understand myself. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. As someone once said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The problem is actually inside all of us. You know, imagine for a moment that we all sat down, and up on the screen, rather than an embarrassing photo of me, came up a video of your life. 
And on, it's a video of your life from birth until this moment now. And it can be fast-forwarded and rewinded to any point. And along the bottom is a subtitle. And it's got what you said, even under your breath. And then under that, it's got even what you were thinking. Yeah, that, I wouldn't want my video up there either. <laughs> and what's kind of going through your minds now is what the Bible calls sin. And it's not just you, it's me, it's all of us. We're all in the same boat. That's why God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came to set us free from sin. You see, a lot of people think that God is a bit like Father Christmas, that he's got kind of a nice list and a naughty list. And as long as you do enough nice things to get on the nice list and less of the naughty things, that you will avoid the naughty list. But God's not like that. The bad news is if, if he did have a list, we'd all be on the naughty list because all of us, all of our videos would be X-rated. See, if our greatest need was, ed was education, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was money, then God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was saving from ourselves, and that's why God sent a savior. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but the story didn't end there. The story that begins at the stable journeys all the way to the cross. Jesus came to die to take the punishment for the wrong things that all of us have done, our sin, our selfishness. He died so you could be forgiven. That's how much God loves you, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus shows God's love for us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, God's love, the way that God's love has found a way to reach us in the midst of our mess. God's love always finds a way. And one of my friends, Andrew, has a, a story which kind of illustrates a bit more of, of the way that God's love always finds a way. So he's just going to share a bit of his story with you now. Awesome. So if you don't know me, my name's Andrew, and I'm the intern here at Forest Town, which basically means I am Tim's slave for the whole year uh, until I become Helen's slave in January. So I'm working my way around. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, as Tim said, this idea of love always finding a way is incredibly real uh, in my life. Uh, when my parents were expecting me, they went to their 20-week scan, uh, and they were told that I had a heart condition called hyperplastic left heart syndrome. Now, this basically means that I only have half a heart. Um, do we have any doctors in here? Anyone a doctor? Medical? Good. I'm not going to offend anyone as I attempt to explain how a heart works. Um, but a heart has four chambers. Uh, there's two on the right and there's two on the left. Uh, the two on the right, they pump blood to the lungs, and it's, they, that blood then collects oxygen. Uh, this comes back to the heart, and then on the left side, it pumps it around the body. Uh, and what hyperplastic left heart syndrome is, is it basically means that I don't have the left side at all. Uh, so the bit that pumps the blood around the body just decided not to develop, which is slightly inconvenient. <laughs> Um, this basically means that I get very tired very quickly, uh, I get very breathless doing any sort of exercise, I can't walk very much, uh, I will never be at Tuesday night football uh, as much as people expect me to be there. <laughs> um, but I've often imagined what it would be like for my parents going to this 20-week scan um, with all the excitement that goes into it, and I love it when people um, 
get married and have kids. It seems like I'm at the age at the moment where all of my friends are kind of getting married and kind of breeding like rabbits, and I'm kind of <laughs> incredibly single and can barely look after a houseplant. Um, <laughs> but I love the excitement of it all. I loved it when Tim and Becky, they're expecting their second child, and they came in uh, to the office and shared this news, and I love the excitement of it all. Uh, but I often imagine it's kind of that fear in that back of your mind um, as a parent of, will my child be healthy? Will they be okay? And so I can imagine my parents going to this scan with the excitement of, the, of seeing their child, of all the excitement that goes alongside it, but that fear in the back of their head. And then seeing the doctor look a little bit concerned and having them call in other people and having this news shared to them. At the scan, they were given three options. Uh, the first one was to completely terminate the pregnancy. Um, there was such a big risk to both mine and my mum's life that this was a fairly justified solution. Uh, there was no guarantee that I would survive any sort of surgery, and if I did, I'd have any sort of quality of life. So I don't think anyone could have blamed them if they'd done that. Uh, the second was to carry on with the birth and then uh, not intervene afterwards, to so just let nature take its course. They could have met me, they could have held me, and then let me pass away. Now, the third was to try this funky new surgery that some guy in America had developed. Uh, the surgery was called the Norwood surgery, uh, which was developed by a guy called Dr. Norwood, who has clearly got some ego issues. Uh, this is a very tough decision for my parents to make, uh, and I'm so thankful that they went for the surgery. Their love found a way, even though it didn't seem like there was one. Now, the guy who invented this surgery, he came all the way over to England to perform the surgery. Uh, it was so new that they were teaching the teams in London how to do it. Oh, hey. Um, so he came over to perform this surgery and um, teach the teams in London how to do it. So it was so new. There was me and one other guy who had the surgery on the same day, and we were the first two survivors in the London area. Now imagine giving birth to your son and then having to pass him over to this random guy to perform this surgery. Their love found a way, even when it seemed like there wasn't one. It was the hard way, the long way, the emotional way. Yet they decided it was worth it to save their son. And for my parents too, it was a massive step of faith. They're both Christians and they grew up believing in God. And so at the time of the birth, they had hundreds and hundreds of people praying all the way around the world. And in a pre-email, pre-social media era, this was quite a big movement. And I believe that by the grace of God that those prayers are answered. And I get to stand here today alive and well because of them. So out of love, Andrew's parents went through with everything. The risky childbirth, the dangerous operation. So that, they, so that Andrew could have life. And God, out of love for you, sent his son to earth, born in the dirty conditions of a stable, so that you can have life. That's how much God loves you. He reached right down, and he went right down to us. The lengths that God went to, because of his love for us, he sent Jesus. God found a way for us to be forgiven. He's given us the gift of Jesus. 